show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish on First podcast channel. With me, Eli Sussman, the founder of Fish on First, providing you guys with complete coverage of the Miami Marlins. This is my weekly podcast show. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. If you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, turn on notifications to get all of our video exclusive content. Leave a rating and review wherever applicable. Let us know how we're doing, how we can improve as we get inching closer to the start of real baseball here for the Marlins. Um, this particular week, the big events coming up is Marlins approaching settlements with their arbitration eligible players. And my initial idea was maybe to do a podcast about that, just running through all those ARB eligible guys and the money involved. And I just reached a point where I thought to myself, am I really excited to talk about this? Are people really going to be excited to listen to this? And, and thankfully, as the day went on, we got a more interesting news peg to dive into, a more interesting subject, just one player that I want to dive into, a player that I know very well and that I think a lot of you guys know and may have some interest in as well. We're going to talk about Harold Ramirez uh, on the heels of the Marlins making a little bit of news by bringing back Jonathan Davis on a minor league deal, somewhat of a cult hero of the 2023 team. That makes me think about Harold because once upon a time back in 2019, he had a similar spot in the heart of Marlins fans for a horrible team. He was one of the few bright spots that were involved there. As quickly as he jumped onto the scene, he was gone. And now, reportedly, Harold could be had again via trade, and we're going to dive into whether or not he actually makes sense as somebody that could reunite with the Marlins, whether what it would take to get him, the pros and cons, how he fits with this potential roster. This will be a relatively quick episode but a joyous one, a fascinating one, because I find Harold, I always have, now going back over five years, I've found him to be just a fascinating player. Joined the Marlins on a minor league deal entering the 2019 season. Didn't have any major league experience at the time. And yet, he showed this untapped potential. He showed this uncanny ability to hit, which if you're going to be a one-tool player or two-tool player, he doesn't have a fully complete skill set as we'll dive into, if you're able to hit, that in itself can carry you to pretty impressive heights. And he has reached impressive heights since leaving the Marlins. So now an opportunity for the Marlins to potentially reacquire Harold Ramirez via trade for their 2024 roster. So this subject is coming off of a rumor from Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic reporting in his latest this was on monday that the rays according to sources also have been shopping designated hitter harold ramirez he notes harold due to earn about 4.4 million dollars projected via arbitration he's going through that process again the idea being the rays are overflowing with young position players that are as good if not potentially better than some of the veterans that were above them in the depth charts so if they could save money, if they could get back even more young players in return, and if they can unleash some of their former top prospects into regular roles in the major league level, it could make sense for them to trade from a surplus of hitting. What a like it's hard to wrap your mind around the team having more hitters than they know what to do with, but the Rays are in that position, at least at certain positions. So Harold, this past year, their primary designated hitter. For the Rays, he's been with the Rays each of the past two years. Prior to then, 2011, he was with the Guardians. 
and he arrived at the Guardians when the Marlins traded him for not even traded him. They DFA'd him entering 2021 spring training. He was claimed off waivers and they got nothing in return. It was a very questionable tactic at the time. And as he has gone further and further away from being a Marlin, he's gone from being an intriguing role player to being a great role player. Any way that you slice it over here, a quick peek at his baseball savant page and his stat cast percentile rankings. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see the last three seasons stat line. Um, his rookie year with Marlins was 2019. Then in 2020, he lost most of the year to COVID and then an injury. It was a very dramatic moment in 2020, September of that year, coincidentally at Tropicana Field, where he just lost his footing running down the first baseline and he collapsed the ground, hurt his leg. Um, it wasn't quite as bad as, as it seemed, but it did cost him the final month of that season, made him unavailable for the postseason in 2020. And prior to the start of the next season, that's when the Marlins squeezed him off the roster. In 2021 with Cleveland, he slashed 268, 305, 398 with seven home runs. All things considered, just an unremarkable player who showed a knack for getting singles, but was a below average corner outfielder overall. In 2022, we ended up with the Rays, took a nice step forward, slashed 300, 343, 404. So that's comfortably above league average. Once again, limited in the power department, but still useful at the corner outfield positions. That's when he started also playing first base in 2022. Then this past year in 2023, taking another leap forward, he set career highs last season in games played, runs scored, hits, Home runs, runs batted in, stolen bases, walks, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, weighted runs created plus, total bases, and Fangraphs wins above placement. All those categories, new career highs for Harold, being the primary DH for that Rays team. He started the majority of the games at DH, played 122 games overall, including some off the bench, and filling in at those other aforementioned positions. Just a really fascinating step forward for him. Being about a two-win player, whether it's being via baseball reference or fan graphs, he was, for a guy that wasn't quite playing every day still, and we'll get into that in a moment, not quite an everyday player, but just an outstanding role player this past season. His stat cast percentile rankings tell an interesting story where he does things inherently that lend itself to a lot of hits. His expected batting average was in the 77th percentile, he doesn't strike out. He uh, He's always been a good contact hitter. And then last year, um, once again, more of the same in that department, striking out at only an 18% rate, right in line with his career averages. MLB average, usually about 23%. So he makes a lot of contact. He still runs better than you think, uh, despite his build, a bit of a stocky build, but still an above average runner. And as I mentioned, a career high in stolen bases uh, this past season. So he was awesome for a Rays team that had yet another awesome regular season. He was quiet during their postseason sweep, but he was in the lineup. He was their number three hitter in their postseason games against the eventual World Series champion Texas Rangers. This guy was batting in the heart of the lineup for a Tampa Bay Rays team that won 99 games this past season on a not an everyday basis, but playing a lion's share of their games at DH corner outfield spots, a little bit of first base um, right there with Harold. So on the downside, 
is he continues to have this penchant for hitting the ball on the ground. He does it every single year of his career, at least a 50% ground ball rate. League average is in the low 40s. And last year he was at 55% ground ball rate. Uh, To give you a Marlins player as a frame of reference there, Gene Segura, who grounded his way out of town with the Marlins last season, drove everybody crazy. Gene Segura's ground ball rate last year was 59%. And Harold, only about 4% lower than that. Um, Yeah, overall, his career ground ball rate is almost right in line with Segura, all things considered. And it's, it's hard to make that comparison just because Segura's struggles are so fresh in your mind. As an overall player, though, his hitting style is actually really comparable to what Segura was during the prime of his career. And remember, this is a player that the Marlins signed for two years and $17 million to get Segura last offseason. And to me, Harold's market value would be, I think, relatively close to that. Not as long of a track record, but still in his theoretical prime of his career. He's This is going to be his age 29 season coming up. And as previously mentioned, he has a year of control beyond 2024 as well. That's an important note here. So even though the Rays are looking to shed some salary, if things go, if he's anything really resembling his career average in 2024, he would be a logical player to tender another contract to in 2025, his last year of arbitration eligibility. So not just a rental right here in, uh, in Harold Ramirez. What other positive did I want to touch on with Harold? His platoon splits. So uh, we're talking about Harold in the context of a Marlins team offensively that projects to be very bad next year. They have just not done much of anything to upgrade this offense from what it was last year. Despite the success that they had last year, they were, as has been repeated ad nauseum, they were last in the National League in runs scored. That is not characteristic of a playoff team under most circumstances it is not realistic to expect them to come close to last year's performance if they don't make upgrades to that offense the players that they've added this offseason whether on minor league deals like Jonathan Davis or ones that are slotted into roles on the roster like Vidal Bruhan those guys can't hit they do some other things that are intriguing but they can't hit they're not going to drive in runs more specifically Marlins need run producers there, there's a lot of ways that they could go about improving this roster on the margins moving forward. What's unfortunately becoming very apparent is that they're not going to spend substantial amounts of money on Jorge Soler, for example. Um, Tasker Hernandez just came off the market. He was viewed as maybe a high-end, uh, some of a pipe dream fit, but it, there was a universe it seems like the Marlins might use somebody like that, and he gets a hefty one-year deal. No word about the Marlins really coming close to that. Solaire expected to be the next one off the board. So what made Solaire so valuable for the Marlins last year was his, his power hitting, obviously, especially when he had the platoon advantage against lefties. This is a leaderboard from Fangraphs of the best hitters by weighted runs created plus against left-handed pitching in 2023. Guys that had batted at least 100 times against lefties. Number one on the board is former Herald teammate Yandy Diaz, Willie Contreras, William Contreras in there, then Mookie Betts, Ryan Mountcastle, Jorge Soler, number five in all of baseball 
against lefties with a 181 WRC plus league average, 181% better than league average followed by Chaz McCormick, Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, and number nine in the entire league production against lefties last season, hitting Harold a 173 WRC plus nearly a 400 batting average to 387 with a 173 WRC plus. Um, in there, four of his 12 home runs. So absolutely dominated against the lefties. He was in the lineup all the time when he had the platoon advantage. Did well enough against righties to you know, put together his overall stat line and stay in there. That is one particular area where he helps fill the void that we just think that the Marlins are going to have that Solaire size void that they're not going to pay Solaire. They need to bring in somebody that has if not a, a realistic chance to fully fill his shoes, then just to do some of the things that he did well at a fraction of the cost. Salary-wise, he'll be a fraction of the cost. And they're in a position where this is not a new rumor about Harold. He's been, this has been a, a trade candidate on my mind for about two months, ever since Bendix took over as Marlon's president of baseball operations. He's already shown an an affinity for his former Tampa Bay Rays players. So what would, what more do to make a difference with that approach that he's had going after players that he's very intimately familiar with? Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. And we think he's available for the aforementioned reasons because the Rays like their internal options because even more so than the Marlins, they are, their moves are often financially motivated. And I think they recognize that Harold has some surplus trade value at this moment too. So they could get something in return that could help them either in 2024 or uh, beyond that. What I also like about Harold is that against every pitch type, the three major pitch types, fastballs, breaking balls, off-speed pitches, his production against them was good across the board last year. He hit 300 or better against all of those, 317 against fastballs, 310 against breaking balls, 302 against off-speed pitches. Now, with as if you're a Marlins fan, you're spoiled because you saw Luis Arise last year, and I think Luis Arise hit in the mid 300s or better against all those pitch types. Overall, this is still a fairly rare and notable achievement. Uh, the splits that show that when he is on his game, the way that he his bat stays in the zone as long as it does, his ability to use all fields, that Harold is not really. Um, doesn't have a, an apparent weakness at the plate. Well, th there's some things that he struggles with, and we'll get into those now. But in terms of the strategy for pitching to Harold, really, really the only thing is throwing pitches out of the zone, making him swing at bad pitches. But in terms of trying to get him to swing and miss in the zone, it's extremely hard to do that, no matter what type of stuff that you have going on with him. So the concerns with Harold bring back his uh, baseball savant page. Sweet spots percentage is a stat we don't talk about a whole lot, but one thing it does to me is it kind of gives you a ceiling on a player's home run potential. It's the percentage of times where you put a ball in play and the launch angle is between 8 degrees and 32 degrees, meaning it's significantly off the ground but not too high elevated. It's it's, uh, you know, it is putting you in position to hit line drives, uh, hard line drives. And Harold has 
even this past season, he's shown the ability on the high ends when he really squares up the goal, he can crush it. He has exit velocities in this past year. 112 was his max, and in previous years, I think he's hit 113 with exit velocity. So he can generate a ton of power when he when everything is moving in the right direction. The thing is, the vast majority of the time, he's not hitting the ball exactly at that angle, that the optimal angle that you want it to. So often he's getting over it and pounding it into the ground, or sometimes he's even getting underneath the ball. So with even though the strikeout rate is low, there's a fair share of pop-ups in there, which are just as bad and just as useless as strikeouts are. His overall barrel percentage, uh, league average about 7%. This past year, he was at 4.6. So that doesn't sound like a big difference, but that is a third lower than the league average for the balls that he really crushes and also hits at a fairly decent angle. And the, yeah, the sweet spot percentage being even um, more of an outlier there. So he's in the 13th percentile in barrel rate, just the seventh percentile in sweet spot percentage um, this past year because of his, his bat path. Part of that is, is also his aggressiveness in the first percentile in chasing balls outside the zone. He's an aggressive hitter and he doesn't work deep counts either. That is one of those sort of an intangible thing that is still relatively important for a functional offense is having hitters work deep in the counts, seeing everything and exposing everything that a pitcher has to offer maybe fatiguing the pitcher that they're facing, especially in this pitch clock era that we're in. There is value to having long plate appearances, making pitchers throw a lot of pitches in quick succession with minimal recovery time. And Harold does not do that. Last year, a career low in pitches per plate appearance, 3.6. The league average is close to four, and he's always been below four every single year. Swings a lot of the first pitch, 41% of the time swinging at the very first pitch. So he could benefit from selectivity. And you'd like to say that these are areas where a player can make adjustments and potentially take off. Um, Patience can be learned, can be reinforced, as can the mechanics of your swing in order to get up underneath the ball more often and generate backspin than a player currently. So those things can be taught. At the same time, this is a player that's now five years into his big league career 29 years old. He's been around a long time and old habits can be very difficult to break. So that is a a really tangible concern. We touched on his defense. He was primarily a DH this past year. And that just puts a whole lot of pressure on your offense and especially on your power, because that is a position where tradition, a lot of the other alternatives to be a DH, um, that's a landing spot for usually big guys that are unable to move around at other positions. The standard is very high offensively. If you're going to be primarily a DH, unfortunately his defense at the non DH positions is, you know, kind of shaky. The Marlins were using him primarily in left field when he was in their organization, occasionally even in center field. But at this stage has become clear. That's not in his um, skill sets to be out there, even in the corners, just a below average player due to his arm strength. Some of his routes out there uh, when pursuing balls, even though his range is surprisingly decent and overall as an overall fielder, just not very good, which means that yeah, it puts a lot of pressure on his bat. And now with, with the Marlins, they can 
their their DH position is kind of in flux right now. So adding him is certainly better than doing nothing. At the same time, for the the reasons I laid out here, the ceiling is kind of limited on Harold. Like last year, his 813 OPS last year being what 25% better than a league average hitter by WRC plus. That's probably the ceiling in a year where he's actually getting substantial playing time. That's a reason why the Mar- the Rays are shopping him. They probably understand that rationally that they're selling somewhat high on him, but that doesn't mean it's bad to go after him. It just means to have realistic expectations for what he would do moving forward. And the Marlins don't lose the trade if he regresses a little bit. I think he's being made available with the understanding that regression is the likely outcome last year. He got a little bit lucky last year on his balls and play, considering how many of them were on the ground. It should be brought up that one of the main frustrations with the Marlins offense last year was that they were hitting into a record number of double plays. And you would think that that is going to be somewhat of an issue moving forward if Harold is having a big role on this team because he is, although his historically he hasn't hit into a ton of uh, double plays, maybe it, that's something that could definitely catch up to him moving forward if he continues to put the ball uh, on the ground as much as he does. He He's open to that risk. And so that is an area of frustration for this Marlins team that I think will continue to be an area of frustration here so what would a marlins roster look like with harold in here i also included the recently re-signed jonathan davis who is a, a non-roster invitee for the moment but i think this is kind of what you're potentially looking like if you were to trade from um somebody off your 40-man roster to acquire him suddenly your outfield the, the regulars would be the same as last year with jazz in center and brian Dela cruz in left and jesus sanchez in right but now you have Jonathan Davis as a really prototypical backup center fielder, late game replacement, fourth outfielder type. And you have Harold as, um, again, your primary DH in a similar role to last year, but somebody that could also fill in at the corner outfield spots when you want him in the lineup, but you want to give somebody else the DH spot. He could fake it enough in the corner outfield spots that you could get away with it, similar to Jorge Soler. Uh, in 2023, that's what the Marlins did with him. Played a couple dozen games in the corner outfield spots, in addition to being the main DH there. Now, what this also factors in is the absence of Avisail Garcia. So that is the main hangup here. Uh, I, I don't know how you like logically fit Harold into this team if you're also going to be carrying Avi. Uh, because there's only so many spots that you can use on position players. Uh, I, I don't think I could be any more clear than I have been that Garcia's fit with the Marlins moving forward isn't there. Like you, you have two straight years of him being an awful major league baseball player. It's long past time to kind of consider that a sunk cost and turn the page. I think Harold would be almost across the board an upgrade. In fact, they share a couple of the same deficiencies, right? I mean, one of the things that makes Avi struggle so much as a Marlin is his poor plate discipline, swinging at the wrong pitches. And he's doesn't have the same bat to ball skill, bat control or any of those other things as Harold does. So when he swings at bad pitches, he whiffs on them. Whereas at least with Harold, he could hit him on the ground or he can find a hole or he can foul them off. 
because he is superior in, in that regard. Um, so it's just there are enough redundancies in what they do, though, that if you had them on the team, I, I don't I don't see the fit if they're not willing to part ways with with Avi right here as guys that are best used as platoon players at this stage of their career, but one of them a lot better than the other. Um, yeah, there's just too much redundancy for it to really make sense if they're not willing to do that. I think our educated guess right now is that at least entering spring training, Garcia is going to be with the Marlins and they're going to evaluate what they have there. So is this Harold Ramirez trademark going to hold up, be put on a standstill enough entering spring that they can reevaluate Avi and potentially get Harold before the season starts and would he still be available? Would he still fit in? Like, is, is it possible that this could drag on long enough for the Marlins to get both for to get that last look at Avi and then decide to go in a different direction and still have somebody like Ramirez available to uh to be traded for. But I do have one quick trade proposal idea in mind. And it doesn't require a ton of explanation. It's a simple one for one as proof checked by baseball trade values. Would the Marlins do Harold Ramirez for George Soriano straight up? I think I would. Baseball trade values says it's about as even as it could be. I'm not beholden by the site very closely. In fact, I think it's low on both of these players. So I think it's low on Harold for the reasons that we laid out. A 300 hitter who is like, you don't need to overthink this. A 300 hitter was a year of control beyond 2024. who's was relatively cheap for both years. And especially for this year, like that that's more substantial surplus value than I think they're giving him credit for right here all things considered and with Soriano he took a nice step forward in his debut season 2023 with the Marlins there were stretches of time where he was most reliable guy in their middle relief mix they occasionally gave him long relief semi-starting opportunities that didn't quite go as well there are some questions about where his exact fit is with this Marlins team, but he's major league ready. The slider really established itself as a, as a plus pitch for George Soriano, extraordinary pitch that hitters have a very hard time tracking as it comes to the plate. His fastball control was a little bit better than I anticipated. And his changeup was further along as a legitimate swing and miss pitch when he has a good feel for it. So it was really not the craziest thing in the world that they, it was at least, came out at a necessity of him as a potential rotation option. All the rumors are flying about Marlins dealing Jesus Lazardo or one of their other established starting pitchers. And I balk at that premise that you can really feign any opportunity to compete in 2024 if you're trading any of your super reliable starters. But if Soriano, the Rays are known for this in recent years of taking guys that are conventionally regarded as relievers and finding success for them in a starting role. So it, it depends on their evaluation of him. If they think that he could be a potential long man, bulk guy, or even a spot starter for them in 2024, this is a raised team that has some rotation depth concerns. I think he'd have considerable value for them in this type of one for one trade. So yeah, really simple. I know in the projected roster, I showed a moment ago, I had shorts for on there, but with the Marlins, they have enough guys to backfill that role for him. It's a significant risk 
because what he showed, the stuff that he showed and his overall command was better than anticipated. I think the ceiling is pretty interesting for George Soriano. And the floor is that he's just a random up and down middle reliever. Like that is the most likely outcome, even with very promising young arms is that through a combination of injuries and inconsistencies that they're just guys. And for this Marlins team that has a lot of confidence in his pitching development, that they'd be able to overcome that in order to address a more pressing area of need um, with Ramirez. So I'm biased when it comes to Harold. I, I acknowledge that he has been one of the players I've most enjoyed watching over the last half decade or, or yeah, even longer than that, ever since the Marlins have been under Bruce Sherman's ownership and it didn't last very long. And he's actually played his best baseball since leaving the Marlins. So it's been a very interesting ride. I'm proud of what he's gone through and it's nice to see that this upcoming year, he's going to, earn quite a bit of money for himself, relatively speaking, to settle his future. So wherever that is, whether it's with the Rays or elsewhere, uh, I think he'll um, yeah, he'll be appreciated and he'll be relatively productive moving forward. This is not kind of this is not the name that he had circled entering uh the offseason for the Marlins. And frankly, I didn't either. Yeah, even with my biases in favor of Harold, I was adamant that they should have aimed higher for this type of player, whether it be that DH or just a general middle of the order bat. Harold is a part-time middle-of-the-order bat, especially when he has a platoon advantage. This team needs to do more, I think, in order to feel confident about themselves as a postseason contender. At the same time, this is a step forward, and you got to be just need to accept reality. There's just been no indication that this team is going to spend big on top of the money that's already on their books for 2024. Their payroll, as we've covered, is almost exactly in line right now with where it was last year, despite the obvious holes to address most notably at shortstop in some of those other areas that they have room for, to improve. There just seems to be an unspoken budgetary restriction that's holding them back from pursuing good players with any level of fervor out there. In this case, you have at least a good role player who's available. The team, even before this report by Ken Rosenthal about the Rays shopping him, he's been a logical trade candidate for most of the offseason for him. So I think you just gonna, you're going to be able to get him on a relatively good value for one youngish arm like the one I mentioned in Soriano and somebody that is not really at top of mind on your depth chart either as a starter or reliever. Um, I think there's a pretty clear fit here, and we know that Peter Bendix knows Harold Ramirez even more intimately than I do. So, um, yeah, if he doesn't pursue him all that heavily, then maybe that speaks to how much they expect him to regress in 2024 and beyond. Anyway, I'd like to hear what you guys think about Harold. Uh, just being realistic about the relatively cheap bats that are still out there. And he being one that comes with some of the perks that I mentioned, some of the history that people still look back fondly when it comes to him. Um, yeah, what, what do you think of the fit, uh, especially at that estimated relatively cheap asking price that we imagine the Rays have for him at the moment? This has been the official show with Eli Sussman. Um, finally, things getting a little bit busier around baseball. The Marlins still very famously one of the few teams that have not signed a major league free agent, um, but there's still a lot of players out there. So as frustrating as this offseason has been, um, a lot it's been slow moving overall. And as long as there are still players out there, it is kind of our responsibility to do our due diligence about what they bring to the table 
And especially when it comes to players like this, that really there's, there's no excuse not to pursue, not no excuse to overlook considering how they fit and how little relatively speaking, the cost would be it's um yeah. I hope you enjoyed this deep dive on Harold and check back for another pod from me next week, as well as the rest of our coverage on fishonfirst.com. Thanks for tuning in and go fish.